living in this Babylon, always looking for the shore of the world that I was made for. The world where the weak are finally strong and the righteous are known for righting wrongs. I want to see this earth start shaking, being impacted by a powerful generation that is finally waking up inside. And on the final day when I die, I want to hold my head up high. I want to look God himself in the eye and tell him that I tried. Well, good morning, Transit Church. Wow, let there be sound. Amen. Uh, Good morning to all of you who are logging on through Facebook. Uh, or the website, and uh, we are going to be in uh, Daniel this morning. We've been in a sermon series through the book of Daniel and these past couple of weeks, and today we're going to be in Daniel 6, uh, which is the famous account of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel in the lion's den. And um, what we see in our text today is we come face to face with the truth about who our God is and who he promises to be for his people. And uh, one of the main things we learn in this text is that our God is the living God who sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth. His dominion will never end, and his posture towards his people is being a God who delivers and a God who rescues people from the mouths of lions. And so I'm excited to preach this text today. I think in God's providence, it's very timely that we're in Daniel 6 in in today's uh, day and age, if you will. And so we have a lot of ground to cover. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to journey through this text together. So Heavenly Father, we come before you just with mouths full of praise and thanksgiving for who you are in Christ Jesus to us. We do not come before you empty-handed. We, we come before you daily, I hope, like Daniel, just, just praising you and giving you the praise and the thanksgiving that's due your name for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. You're a good father. You're a God who saves and delivers and rescues us, and you have rescued us. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is behind us on the cross, and the best thing is yet to come. And that's all you're doing, Jesus. So we've come before you thanking you that you're our defender and you're mighty to save. Thank you, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way with your word this morning. Jesus, would you be magnified Would you give us eyes to see who you are and who you are to your people? So Jesus, would you increase up here? Would I decrease and would you have your way with this message? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, verses 1 through 3, turn to Daniel 6, and uh, we're going to dive in here. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give, a, uh, give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So if you were here last week, we were looking at uh, Daniel 5, and we saw that Babylon and Belshazzar came to an abrupt and sudden end, and this week in Daniel 6, uh, what we're looking at is that there's a new king and a new kingdom in town. That king is King Darius. And uh, move to the right a little bit. Thank you. Um, that king is King Darius. And the uh, kingdom is the Medo-Persian Empire that is now ruling and reigning over what was once the Babylonian Empire. And so what we've seen throughout Daniel is this, is that earthly kings and earthly kingdoms rise and fall like toilet paper at Costco, right? But it's God's kingdom that reigns forever across the face 
of the earth. And so that's what we see with Daniel. Babylon has come and gone, but Daniel is still standing. And not just standing, but he's thriving as usual. This is par for the course uh, for, for Daniel. Uh, what we learn here is uh, he's, he's the right-hand man of the new king, King Darius. He's got a promotion in view out of the 120 satraps, these government officials and three high officials, which Daniel was one of those. In verse 4, we learn that King Darius planned to set Daniel over like the entire kingdom, right? And this is kind of par for the course of, of Daniel, just his gifting, his godliness, and God's favor upon him. And, uh, but here's the deal. News of this potential promotion gets out. Wicked men begin to plot and scheme uh, on, how, on how not just to pre- prevent Daniel's promotion, but how to brutally kill him and, and get rid of him and out of their kingdom. Look at verses 4 through 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground or for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so the picture we get here is there's a large, large majority of these government officials who kind of who kind of uh, start this uh, anti-Daniel alliance, we'll call it the ADA. And uh, we got to ask the question, why do these people want to get rid of Daniel so badly? Right. What we know in the text is Daniel's probably in his 70s or or his 80s at this point. And he's a good, honest man. He's a man of God. He's trustworthy. He's reliable, so on and so forth. But I think one of the things the text doesn't necessarily say, but some of the things we know historically about the ancient Near East is that corruption in the government in the ancient Near East was widespread, like Blatantly lying and killing political rivals was not that big of a deal. That was like just another day uh, of, of ruling in ancient Near Eastern kingdoms. And the second thing we know is that Daniel was an honest man of God. He was faithful servant of his king, but also of King Darius. And Darius, for sure, loved, uh, loved Daniel because he could actually trust him. Unlike everybody else, Daniel knew he could, he could trust Daniel. He was faithful. He was good at what he did. And so, therefore, Darius was going to give him uh, that promotion. And uh, their fears, their fears were this, essentially, I believe, is that if this Daniel is going to get elected and be over all of us, he's going to legislate his morality upon us. He's going to legislate his morality upon us. And this is the picture I got as I, as I was preparing this sermon was if you've ever been to a party where everybody is drinking and, uh, and maybe drinking heavily and you're just not and you got like seltzer in your hand or LaCroix, you know, you're trying to just whatever, drink non-alcoholic beverages with your friends at this party. Um, just your mere presence of not participating is, is like, uh, I guess, is an indictment against everybody else because everybody at that party, if you've been in this situation, comes at you and is attacking you and say, what do you, what, do you think? You're better than me because you're not drinking? Why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? You think you're better than me? And you're just like, bro, like, I'm just drinking seltzer water, man. Like, what are you, you're like, what are you, what are you doing? And uh, why, are you, why are you coming at me this way? And I think with Daniel, this is what we, we learned with Daniel, is that Daniel's mere presence in this position as an honest, reliable man was condemning them and making... Um, them look bad. And so the options they had uh, were, were essentially one option that they decided to go with, and that was this, is we don't like his presence. His presence as an honest man who's not corrupt in the government is condemning us, and so our only options, we have, we have to get rid of Daniel. And not just get rid, like, not just like, like make sure he doesn't get elected and have like a smear campaign, uh, but, but to kill him. 
And, uh, but the only problem was is that there was no fault that could be found in Daniel. Everybody knew his track record. There's no way you could go on social media and troll his social media page to see, you know, historically if he was like an evil man or whatever. Uh, there was none of that. Everyone knew Daniel's reputation went before him. And so what do they decide to go after? The anti-Daniel alliance, they go, the, the, the direction they go is Daniel's faith, is his faith. They say, if we can make his faith in Yahweh the biggest offense and greatest indictment against Daniel, then we can get rid of him. And that's exactly what they do. Look at, look at verses 6 through 9. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. In verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So here's what they did. They all came before the king and they boldface lie and say, listen, all of the officials in the kingdom are in agreement on this ordinance. The only thing that we know to be true here is that Daniel was shockingly absent from this apparent uh, group decision. He was left out of the group chat on that one. And the injunction uh, was, was this. The decree was this. For 30 days, King Darius would, would be the only mediator between the gods and man in the kingdom. So basically, if you had a, a prayer request to the sun god, you'd have to go to, to King Darius and say, hey, this is, this is who I want to pray to, and this is what I want to say. Can you go do that? He would be the mediator between the gods and uh, the people in the kingdom. And I just think it's funny. They pitched this to Darius, and Darius, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing his response is this, is wait, 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 wait. So you're saying I could get more power? You're saying I could actually get more control? And, and all of you think this is a great idea? Daniel uh, thinks this is a great idea as well? And, and not only that, not only that, if people disagree with me, we get to like throw them into the, the lion's den. Yeah, yeah, sign me up. This is great. Like I was kind of iffy there with the decree, but like the whole idea of like creating a pit with lions and all that stuff, like, okay, I'm in. Like, wh where do I sign, right? And that's Darius's response here. He actually signs the injunction. And this is what we see next and how Daniel responds to this crisis in his nation, this kind of decree of death for Daniel. This is how Daniel responds. Look at verse 10. This is beautiful. When Daniel knew, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks and gave thanks and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. This is insane, Daniel's response to this decree. And I would say, honestly, it puts a lot of us to shame, including myself, given our present situation. And uh, what was his response to this decree of death over him? It wasn't panic, but it was prayer. And it wasn't just prayer, it was thanksgiving to his Lord, he doesn't panic, he doesn't rage, he doesn't run to social media and huff and puff about the, the evil pagan kingdom he lives in. No, he rushes, he runs to his sweet savior, his God who rescues and delivers and he goes to him in prayer. And uh, one of the things we learn here is this, is that Daniel was a praying man before the, the crisis even came, right? 
If we look at verse 10, it says, as he had done previously, he still does. Whether the, what, no matter what's happening around him, he's going to continue to do what he had always done. He was a praying man before the crisis even came, so much so that when the crisis came, nothing had to change for Daniel. He knew his God, and he knew the best place to be was on his face, interceding for uh, the nation and for his brothers in, in, in the faith, and, and interceding maybe on behalf of this crisis in his nation. He was just going to rush to his Savior, his Lord, his Yahweh in prayer. Verse 10, as he had done previously. This was a ritual. This was a routine. This was his relationship. He had a relationship with God. He knew God. Three times a day, opened his windows towards Jerusalem. So three times a day, this Hebrew exile for decades who's been away from his kingdom is is praying towards Jerusalem, reminding himself of who he is and who his king is. No matter who's on the throne in Babylon, who's on the throne in Persia, where his feet, what soil his feet are on, he's reminding himself, this is who I am. This is where I came from, and this is who my true king is. He's facing Jerusalem. It's beautiful. Oh, man, the power I feel like we would walk in if we would daily, three times a day, remind ourselves of who we are and who our king is. And might I suggest Daniel's faithfulness to God in the public sphere, in this pagan kingdom, came about through his dedication to him in his private prayer life. His public faithfulness was just the the tip of the iceberg to this bedrock of private devotion to God. I love it. And if you were to put yourself in the shoes of Daniel after this decree, the temptation to compromise for just 30 days would be huge. Like as I was as I was preparing the sermon, I couldn't help. I was I was like literally. I had my Bible open. I was reading this, and I was internally like yelling at the text and saying, "Daniel, just close your windows, bro, for thirty days, man. Just close the windows. Or if it, maybe I don't know how it works, but hey, maybe go to IKEA, get yourself some blinds, maybe some blackout curtains, lock your door, keep praying, but just shut the windows, bro." Like, problem solved. But, but Daniel, listen, this is what we've seen through the book of Daniel is this. I love this. There was a line in the sand for Daniel. There was a line in the sand for, for uh, Daniel and his friends, he, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. We say, my allegiance to uh, seeking the welfare of the city I'm in goes this far. And when it comes, when there's a, 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 an apex, a crisis of faith where um, it's either I pledge allegiance to an earthly kingdom, or I pledge allegiance to my king, there's one place my knee is, is bending for Daniel. And that's what we see here. So he wasn't going to change a thing. He refused to compromise. He refused to change his walk with the Lord. He said, come what may. And his focus in the midst of the crisis was not on the crisis. His focus in the crisis was not on the crisis. It was on his God in the midst of the crisis saying, you're still Lord over this decree. You're still Lord over this crisis. And I will praise your name and give thanks to you. Because as for today, there's still breath in my lungs to praise you. Therefore, my mouth is going to proclaim your goodness and your grace to me, no matter what's happening around me. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the, uh, the injunction, 
Oh, king, do, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is, the, who is uh, one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. Note real quick, note real quick, that this earthly king cannot rescue Daniel. Darius is not Daniel's deliverer. Yahweh is. And often when we put our trust and our faith in human institutions or human effort and human circumstances, it's a shaky foundation. And that's what we learn here in Daniel. He set his mind to deliver Daniel and Darius couldn't and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king know o king that it is a law of the medes and persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed so here's the situation Daniel's doing what he always does. He's praying. Uh, this small contingent from the anti-Daniel alliance, they, uh, they want to do a, a stakeout. They want to do some surveillance on Daniel's residence, right? So maybe they go to the Dunkin' Donuts, get some coffee, some donuts, buy some walkie-talkies, create some costumes, get some cool radio names. And uh, for probably about 30 seconds, as they all get in position, uh, their, their stakeout lasts like maybe a minute, and they're wondering what Daniel's going to do, and no surprise, his windows fling open, and he's praying, and they got what they need, and they rush and skip, if you will, to the king, because Daniel's uh, downfall is imminent. But one thing that uh, um, sticks out here is the response of King Darius. King Darius here is mortified. He's distressed. And the reason for that is, is there's two things that are going on there. One is Daniel's the best man in his kingdom he's got, and he wants Daniel to be his right-hand man. And then the second thing is that in the ancient Near East, uh, uh, the king's laws were irrevocable. Once he decreed them, he was bound by those laws. And that's what um, all these government officials continue to remind Darius of. Hey, the law that you signed cannot be revoked. Hey, the law that you signed cannot be revoked. They keep reminding him of those laws. Verse 16, then the king commanded... And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, and no diversions were brought to him, and sleep, <clears throat> sleep fled from him. And so what we see here is that Daniel's fate is literally sealed. He's thrown into a pit full of ferocious lions. And not only that, this massive stone is rolled over the entrance. It's sealed with the king's seal to prevent anyone from daring to tamper with it. And uh, apart from God, miraculously intervening to save Daniel, he's a goner. And there's this marked contrast here between Daniel and Darius in our text. One is a man, Daniel, who knows the living God, who knows Yahweh. And up until, uh, uh, I think, verse like 21, we know nothing of Daniel's emotional state in this. But what we do see, what the text highlights, is there's another man in the text, King Darius, who doesn't know Daniel's God, who doesn't know the, 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 the hope, the confidence, the resolve that knowing the living God gives someone in the moment of crisis. 
It says, King Darius, that sleep fled from him. I'm sorry, King Darius, you're not surrounded by ferocious lions. Right? What do you mean sleep? You're in your palace and dan- like just the contrast there is, is hilarious. It couldn't help but thinking like as people are fanning Darius in his luxurious palace, like he's, he's a nervous wreck. What's, anyways, that contrast to me is, is, is hilarious. And the impression we get from the text, although we don't know, but the impression I get is that Daniel was, was almost as cool as a cucumber, it seems like. We know nothing of his emotional state here. We're, the focus is on Darius, a man who doesn't know the living God. He's in his, Daniel is in his 70s or his 80s at this point. He's been walking with God his entire life and has seen time and time again God show up in his life. He's cool. I really think he's potentially cool as a cucumber. He's served, and listen, not only that, but he's served under the three stooges so far, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius. And maybe he's just at that point where he's saying, all right, make it quick, lions. I'm going for it, right? Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm in my 80s. I've served the Lord. Uh, just please make it quick, lines. And we're not sure the text doesn't say, but what we do know is this, that throughout God's word, we know the confidence that believers ought to have when facing crisis and death because our king is on the throne and he's living and active and he's mighty to save. Uh, and Philippians 1, 21 through 24, look at the apostle Paul writing in prison. And this man dies as a martyr for Jesus, gives his life for Jesus. And this is what he says, looking over the edge of the grave. This is what the apostle Paul says in Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death is gain for the believer, not a loss. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, advancing the kingdom of God across the face of the earth. Yet, watch this, yet, yet, which I shall choose, I can't tell. Isn't that incredible? It blows my mind. 23, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Jesus for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. We see Paul's focus here. His focus is on Christ. His focus is on others. If other people need me to proclaim this kingdom and be the hands and feet of Jesus, then Lord, keep me here another day. And if my earthly assignment is over, Lord, make it quick. Let's go because I want to be with you forever because that's who you promised me to be. And Jesus, your resurrection is the first fruit of my resurrection. That's the hope. That's the confidence we have approaching the grave. And and, and Paul lived his life, right? Him and his friends. We've just read through Acts in the CBR where God continually, miraculously intervened and would (laughs) deliver them from prison in crazy ways, right? In the book of Acts. And yet he still died a martyr. And this is what um, Sinclair Ferguson says. I love this line. A servant of God is immortal until his work has been completed. Wow. A servant of God is immortal on this side of the grave until his work is done. Until his work is done. And Daniel, Daniel knew this, right? The Lord, the Lord wants me here, clearly. The Lord wants me here now in the Medo-Persian Empire in high positions of influence. And if it is God's will that I continue to serve him, I will be delivered. I will be. I know what he can do. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I'm still delivered because I die and I go spend eternity with him. I'm delivered or I'm delivered. King Darius, Persian Empire, give it your best shot. 
Give it your best shot. That's who my God is, and that's the power that we as believers have facing and looking into uh, uh, the belly of the beast in, in regards to uh, crisis or the grave or whatever situation we're in. Continuing, we've got to keep going here. Verse 19. Oh, this is so good. Whew. Then at break of day, the king arose, and he went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the, the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And verse 21, and then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. Quick side note, if I was in Daniel's shoes, and the man who threw me in the lion pit is, is, is crying out from the top of the pit. I would not say, oh, king, live forever. I would say, hey, King Darius, here, grab my hand real quick, help me out, and then I would yank him into the pit with me, right? But look at the honor that Daniel has for those uh, in positions of uh, in political office. You catching my drift? The honor, the respect. I, I, think, I think this indicts me, it indicts us as believers uh, in regards to what's coming out of our mouth against whoever's across the aisle, whatever, aisle, whatever side of the aisle we're on. Daniel is saying, okay, live forever. That blows my mind. Moving on. Verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Let's not miss the insanity of this text. Let's not try to uh, gloss this over or, or, or downplay what just happened. An angel was commissioned from heaven, jumps into the pit, shuts the mouth of lions, and hangs out with Daniel all night, right? God miraculously intervenes and saves his servant. Oh, that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And, one of, and, and, and in this text that we just read, we finally hear Daniel speak. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, one of the first things that comes out of his mouth is a testimony of who God is and what God has done for him. He says, my God saved me. He shut the mouths of lions and listen, there's not a scratch on me. There's not a scratch on me. Absolutely beautiful. And, 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 and man, this is such a beautiful picture of, uh, of our stories, right? For those of us who Jesus Christ has, has rescued and, and delivered, um, uh, just the concrete evan, evidence of God's miraculous intervention in our lives is, is, is for some of us just the fact that we're still living and breathing. Like my youth pastor growing up, he had a, he was quite the junior higher and teenager. And I won't go into details about his pre-Jesus days, but something he would always share that uh, resonated with my soul. He says, if it wasn't for Jesus intervening in my life through uh, young life leaders and other people at Young Life, um, if it wasn't through Jesus rescuing me, I would be either dead or in jail. I would be dead or in jail. So proof of God's 
uh, proof of God being a livid, living and active God who's mighty to save is the very fact of my existence that I'm not in jail and I'm not dead. And not just that, I'm thriving because of who Jesus is and what he's done where sin sought to destroy my, my, my God's mercy and his grace was greater than the sin that was trying to destroy my life. And that's what our God does. Church, he rewrites stories. He rewrites stories. He changes destinies, trajectories, all of our lives, all of our lives, because he's a rescuer, he's a deliverer, he's mighty to save, and, and this is what he does for his people. And, and across this room, the five of us that are here and hopefully online, you can say amen to what, who Jesus is for you and what he's done for your life, forever singing his praises. Love it. And then verse 23, which sticks out, it says that no harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Note what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say because Daniel trusted in himself and his own ingenuity to do self-deliverance. His trust was not introspection. Oh, I need to muster up enough faith or, 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 or you know, judo chop all these lines. It wasn't that. It was, it was cool, calm, warranted, justified trust in his God. Love that. Throughout Scripture, listen, throughout Scripture, trust in God. We sang this this morning. Trust in God as a healer, as our rescuer, as our deliverer is applauded. Why? Why? Because when it's, because through our faith in God in the midst of crisis, we are telling the world what our God is truly like. We're telling a story about what our God is like when we're not panicking in the midst of the crisis. We're telling a story of who God is, or, or at least what our, what, our, what our picture is of our, our God. And so um, in November, uh, my wife and, and my family and I, we were vacationing at our family's uh, cabin in the Shenandoah Valley area. And um, there are bears uh, on this property. I've seen them. And, but there's tangible evidence of, of, of their existence because the telephone poles that lead up to our cabin um, are all like clawed up. And there's bear hair everywhere. And I think what they do to, like, as a preservative is they dip these telephone poles in like Chick-fil-A sauce as a preservative. And then these bears literally just rip them to shreds. Like you can pull out the hairs. And so me being um, kind of a naive father uh, to my oldest daughter, I thought it'd be awesome if we go and check out all these telephone poles that the bear's been ripping to shreds. And, and, and you know, here's a clump of bear hair. That's awesome. Look at it. Look at the claw marks. You know, I'm like... Uh, Little do I know that that's terrifying to a three-and-a-half-year-old. And so later that day, I'm like, all right, let's go. Uh, uh, our, our camera's on a hill, and then, boom, it goes down into this valley, into the woods. And uh, it's midday. I'm like, dude, let's go. Let's go down to the creek. Let's go for a hike. Let's go. We're at the cabin. Let's go to the woods, all this stuff. And so the family's out. We've got our boots on, everything. And then, uh, uh, no joke, my daughter, oldest daughter, won't move but like five feet from the cabin. And uh, we figure out. I'm like, what's going on? Because she would always play in the woods. And uh, all of a sudden, what, what she realizes, there are massive bears out there who can rip apart like telephone poles. I'm not going in those woods at all. And so what I do, and, and this isn't even me exaggerating, exaggerating, this is almost verbatim what I said to her, shows you a little flavor of my parenting here. But uh, I go to her, I kneel down and say, hey, Kelsey, listen, I know you're scared of the bears. Listen, if your daddy sees one of these bears, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab him by his neck. 
And I'm going to drag him up the hill. I'm going to take him to the telephone poles. I'm going to rub his nose in the telephone pole. I'm going to say, don't you ever touch my telephone poles again. And then I'm going to put him in timeout for six months and call it hibernation. And we're never going to have to worry about these bears again. All right, so let's go. And I, and I confidently just turn and just start. We're going to the woods. Like, she's coming, right? And I look, and she hasn't moved an inch. <laughs> Not an inch. And then, and then I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you heard what I said. Come, come get me. And she almost sizes me up, like looks, looks me up and down and just shakes her head no. And uh, long story short of it is that we never made it to the woods that entire, that entire trip. Like we, you know. Um, the reason I share that is this, is how often is that our view of God? Like he calls us to dangerous things. I mean, just look at the Great Commission. Jesus says, go everywhere, whatever the cost, and proclaim the gospel knowing that I'm with you, Right? March into the valley of the shadow of death because I'm your good shepherd and my rod and my staff will comfort you in the danger, in, 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 in the midst of the lions and in the midst of a forest with bears. But often our view of God is, uh, is, my, is my daughter's view of her father, a 5'8", out of shape, bald man whose only combat training is a yellow belt he got uh, nine years old when he was doing karate, right? <laughs> Instead of instead of the all-powerful, all-wise, all-good, all-knowing, all-loving, King of kings, Lord of lords, who is mighty to save and is, and is present with you wherever you go, right? And what faith is, I think, if I were to kind of summarize it for the, for the intent of this sermon, is faith, is, is faith, simply put, is an accurate view of who God is. It's an accurate understanding of who our God is and who he's promised to be for us, so much so that we have an appropriate response uh, to this present age, right? Accurate view of God that leads to an accurate response where we go out and we dare greatly, we risk greatly, knowing that God has promised to be with us. We're either delivered or we're delivered. He makes us bold as lions so we can go... We can go into the lion's den. And when we do that, church, God is so magnified. When that is our response to crisis, not blind faith, not blind risk, warranted confidence in God and who he is. God is so glorified in that. When the missionary goes and lays down his life on the mission field in love for, in love for others who don't know Jesus and in love for God because he, because he knows who his God is and he wants other people to know him. So he dares greatly, he risks greatly because he knows God. And when we have this kind of faith, God is glorified and people are confused. Right? God is glorified and people are confused who don't know this God. I was talking with, uh, I was grabbing coffee with uh, a couple guys yesterday from the church. One of them is uh, uh, in the Fairfax County Public School System. And he just shared this quick story. He said, what has been awesome about the present situation we're in is that I've been, people are wondering, uh, people have approached me and they said, why aren't you freaking out? What's your secret sauce? I want to know. You should be terrified. We are all terrified. And he says, what do you know? Like, I know Jesus. I'm going to be all right. 
Do you know Jesus? Can I, can I share the hope and the confidence that I have with you, right? And often it's in those moments of crisis that Christ is so exalted and magnified because God is, through our trusting who God is and who he's promised to be, God is glorified, people are confused, and then we can testify with our mouths of, yeah, this is who my God is. This is who he's proven to be every second, every minute, every day of my life to me and who he's promised to be in his word to us. Oh, that's who he is. Love it. And it's this kind of faith, trust, just understanding, having eyes to see who our God truly is, gives us confidence to go and sacrificially love others no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Into the fray, whether it's financial risk, uh, risk of physical uh, safety or persecution, it doesn't matter because our God is with us. And until our, our earthly assignment is over, we're immortal. Until God is done with us, my dad, my dad growing up would always have this line, God don't want me yet, man. God don't want me yet. I love it, right? I love it. It's a different way to say that. Sinclair Ferguson. Sinclair. All right, moving on. Uh, verse 24, I know that there might be some, uh, given the, the, the streaming here, there might be some uh, younger audience. Um, so uh, uh, I'm not going to read that given the, uh, the age range that I'm not sure of those who are watching. But here's what we know in verse 24 is that uh, historically in the ancient Near East, if you were to bring an accusation uh, against someone, a false accusation, whatever that punishment that was going to befall the person that you were trying to, to, to trap, that was now your punishment. And that's what we see play out in this text. And then in addition to that, what we know extra, in extra biblical data and historical uh, Herodotus, uh, I think that's how you know Herodotus, uh, what he says is this, is that the Persian law was this, was that actually in Persia, often the punishments were meted out against entire families, entire families. And so that's what we see happen in, um, in verse 24. But starting in verse 25, moving on. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall uh, be to the end. Watch how this Persian, this pagan king who uh, uh, is, is exalting and magnifying the name of Yahweh. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so what we see here is that through Daniel's trust in God in the middle of the crisis, God was glorified and magnified as a rescuer and the deliverer of his people. And the result was that this pagan king began to praise God, began to magnify and lift up the name of Yahweh. And, and that's what we see King Darius do is that this decree isn't as much of a decree as it is a doxology, a praise to God. And so there's three things that are to categorize what he's saying here as we slowly wrap up this message. Excuse me. One of the first things we see is what Darius says is this, is that he is the living God. He is the living God. He is not dead. He is not distant. He is not deistic. What he means there is he's saying he is living and active. He's alive. He's mighty to save. He's actively at work preserving and sustaining the lives 
of his people. The second thing he says is, is this Yahweh endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion shall never end. What he's saying there is that there's one kingdom that will outlast persecution, pandemics, war, and famine, and that's the kingdom of God. That's the whole message of Daniel that we've seen. Earthly kings, earthly kingdoms come and go, but God and his reign will last forever. Will last forever. And just to remind us this morning, church, this is the kingdom that you are a citizen of. This is the, the, the kingdom where our citizenship lies, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, the kingdom that will not be shaken, the kingdom that will uh, never be destroyed, the dominion that shall never end is the kingdom that we are citizens of, first and foremost. And the third thing we see is that um, this God, this Yahweh, is, is the one who delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders, and he saved Daniel from the mouth of lions. And what we've seen throughout the book of Daniel so far is God miraculously intervening and completely changing circumstances on behalf of those he loves. So my challenge to us this morning, before we conclude, my challenge is this, is do we believe this doxology? Do we believe, do we truly trust that this is who God is? That he can back up what he says? Do we truly believe this? Because if we truly believe this, I really believe it changes, changes everything. It won't make the circumstances necessarily change. God very well could do that, but he might not. But either way, we still have confidence that he's Lord and we're going to reign and rule with him forever because that's the kingdom we are citizens of. And so I will conclude with this. Some of us here or are watching online, circumstantially, we are in the pit and we feel like we're surrounded by lions and that a massive stone has been rolled over the entrance, therefore sealing our fate. Maybe that's a terminal illness. Maybe that's a desperate financial crisis or some type of relational conflict. But please listen, please listen to this. For those of us united to Jesus by faith, there is no pit, there is no circumstance that we could ever be in where a stone is rolled over the entrance and our fate is sealed. And here's why. It's because our fate was sealed 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ, where our Savior went into the pit, went into the belly of the beast for you and for me, carrying your sins and mine. And when it looked like his fate was sealed and the stone was rolled over his grave, he decided to burst forth out of that grave in victory, forever declaring that sin, death, the, de the devil, disease, no longer have any claim, any hold, any grip on you because the lion's den doesn't get the final say over your life. The lion of Judah does. The lion of Judah gets the final say. And the truth of the matter is this, is that there is no stone big enough that could ever be rolled over your grave because you're united in faith to your resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, and he's in the very business of rolling away stones. This is who he's revealed himself to be in his work. It's who he is. It's what he does, right? We're either delivered, God miraculously intervenes, or we're not, and we're still delivered. That's the confidence we have, right? That's the hope we have. That's God's love and his posture towards you today. He's moved heaven and earth 
to reveal his love towards you. And this is what we see in Romans 8. I will, I'll conclude with Romans 8, 31 through 39. I hope this comforts you. I hope you will receive these words today. If you are here and you're in a crisis or this pandemic is, is causing you fear, maybe it's because you don't know the, the, the hope and the joy and the love and the peace that comes through knowing Jesus. Would you cry out to him in faith today? He'll never let you down. Mark my words. I've seen it in my own life. Never let you down. Never leave you. Never forsake you. Put your trust in him, not yourself today. Put, there's no other way. There's nowhere else to put your trust. That's what trusting in Jesus is. It's forsaking confidence and trust in ourselves and, and throwing ourselves at the feet and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. And this is what we see in Romans 8, 31 through 39. I love this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you right now. Who shall separate us from the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! Verse 37, no, is what Paul says. He says, I don't think so. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And may this, verse 38, may this resonate deep in our souls in this, in this situation we find ourselves in. May this resonate deep in our souls. May we leave this morning or log off this morning with this confidence, for I am sure, I am confident I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's given us his son. How much will he not more give us all things? We're going to be fine, church. We're going to be fine. Our fate was sealed through his death and resurrection. It's unshakable. It's a sure foundation. And let us leave here. Say, I am sure of who my Jesus is to me in the midst of this crisis. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Oh, you're so good. Your faithfulness. Your, your faithfulness endures throughout generations. Your steadfast love from age to age. Your kingdom will never end. Thank you, God, for your posture towards us. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you, God, that you don't keep your distance, but, but that we thank you, Jesus, that you, don't, you descend into the pit. You don't keep your distance from us, but in our, 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 our crisis, our sin and, and, and disease and, and, and death, you, you march towards the grave, march towards the cross, and redeemed all of that for us so that none of that has any claim over the sons and daughters of the living God today 
Who can bring any charge? I love, I love what Daniel said, his testimony, when he crawled out of that grave. There's not a scratch on me. And for some of us here, or some of us watching, I think, I think the enemy has been condemning us and saying, there's sin all over you. Look at yourself. And may we today answer back and say, there's not a sin on me. My fate was sealed on the cross 2,000 years ago. And my Jesus has blown off the lid of my life and he's resurrected and that's a first fruit of my resurrection. I've been washed by the blood of the lamb. No one can condemn me. Look, look, there's no more scars because of his scars on the cross for me. That's the posture of our God towards us, church. That's his goodness, his kindness, his grace, his scars, so that we don't have to bear them for our sins and our wickedness. He who has given us his son, oh, will he not? Will he not sustain us until our earthly assignment is over? Do not fear. Do not worry. Do not be dismayed. Your God, the Lion of Judah, is with you. He's with us. Thank you, Jesus. Take your glory this morning. We're here for you. And through this crisis, may your name be magnified. We pray this in your name.